Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Lisa Pressman, and today we're talking about toxic positivity and the antidote to toxic positivity with radically honest psychotherapist Whitney Goodman. She has a really cool Instagram account, Sit With Wit, and she wrote a book called Toxic Positivity, Keeping It Real in a World Obsessed with Being Happy. And we're talking about how to integrate being supportive, having hope and gratitude and a sense of possibility without diminishing the experience of your child or other people in your life by inadvertently using quote unquote toxic positivity. So we're talking about this with regard to young children all the way through adolescence and our experience, even with our partners, other parents, and our parents. If you enjoy this episode, please don't hesitate to subscribe, rate, and write a little review with maybe a nugget that you got that you thought might inspire others to listen to the podcast. It's so helpful for me. And of course, you can subscribe to my bulletin, drlisa.bulletin.com and DM me on Instagram for listener Q&A at Raising Good Humans Podcast. So I want to start off by just defining and distinguishing between toxic positivity and optimism, which are totally different things, but seem to be getting conflated. Yeah. So toxic positivity is really like this unrelenting pressure to be happy and positive, no matter what the situation. And I like to think of it as we're offering someone a really simple solution for a complicated problem that we know nothing about. Optimism, on the other hand, is is really just having like an outlook towards life that things can change and get better and improve. And I think when we look at the opposite of toxic positivity, we're really talking about how can we acknowledge reality and what's actually happening and hold space for that hope and optimism at the same time. So what are some examples of things that parents, and we don't only have to talk about parents, but in this context for raising good humans, it seems like a really wonderful opportunity to consider the kinds of things we might say to our kids in the, you know, the most well-meaning way that may come across as 
these simple solutions to much more complex things where you're not acknowledging feelings. And, and so are there some examples of concrete ways that you've seen that? And we can also think about that in terms of our partners and, and friends. Parents have a hard time, I think, remembering that things are a really big deal to their kids that might feel very simple to them, right? So we often hear toxic positivity come up in situations where you're saying, don't worry about that. It'll be fine. It's not that big of a deal. It'll get better. Everyone loves you. You know, and all these little issues that we're concerned about with our kids, we tend to want to brush it under the rug, or maybe we think it's not that big of a deal. It may also be that in the service of thinking you're building a young child's resilience, you're just letting them know we don't worry about this. We don't sweat the small stuff, but actually it may in fact be the reverse that acknowledging those feelings doesn't mean you have to sit in them, but acknowledging them builds up our capacity to feel seen and heard so that we can then move on to what you were talking about of just still believing there's a hope for change, which is not toxic positivity. Exactly. Yeah. And and I think there's a lot of nuance to that part of the conversation because there's of course going to be things where like, I don't know, your kid drops their red plate and they want the blue plate and, and exactly. are like, you can't really get into all the feelings. But I think instead of just saying like, it's fine, you can't cry about that, brush it off. You can say like, oh, you're upset that the cup fell here. Let's pick it up. And, and there's a way to move on while still validating feelings or the reality for that child. I just love that example because I think that sometimes when we don't want kids to like feel like they just are indulging big feelings about what presents as something very small, like the blue versus the, was it the red? Mm -hmm. We feel like, okay, we'll, we'll say no big deal. Let's move along but that you can actually acknowledge a feeling without sitting in it for a long time. So that felt like a nuanced example of something that happens all the time, which is you can still be a sensitive parent thinking about your child's feelings without joining them in the sorrow of the plate. Yes. What what I like to point out is that toxic positivity and validation like actually require the same amount of energy. If anything, I think the validation is actually easier once you get the hang of it. So if your kid is screaming about something like that, you might feel pulled to say like, it's okay. It's not a big deal. Let's move on. You don't need to cry about that. That's still a lot of work than to just say, oh, that's such a bummer. Like you wanted that plate. We can't have that plate today, but you can have this one and let's move on, you know, to, to the next thing. And of course, every example is going to require a different approach depending on the age of the child and, and all of that. We can connect with problems as being bigger as our kids get older. And so this is like a peer issue. Maybe we can identify a little bit with it. But let's say your child comes home and is really upset about a friend being mean to them on the playground or not including them at lunch. Can you give some language around that as well that might be compassionate, validating, but not sitting in the soup Mm -hmm. and not blowing it off? Yeah. So I think that kids at that age really want to feel understood. They want to have language for their experience that as a parent, instead of using toxic positivity, I would approach it with like, oh, what happened today? Can you tell me about what you're worried about? What did they say that made you feel upset? What did you wish you could say back to them? Like, 
really trying to come up with a dialogue around it instead of going for, oh, well, mom loves you and you're a great kid and that person's an idiot for not wanting to hang out with you. You know, that's more of the toxic positivity angle that we're talking about. Yeah. And that can, that happens so often. And so it's the phrase toxic positivity seems so toxic, but it's really, it can happen in the most well-meaning moments where you just don't necessarily want your child to be experiencing those hard feelings. And so you accidentally go there. So that I'm sure many of us can identify with that moment of wanting to say like, I love you. And those people, I love you. You don't need, who needs them? (laughs) Who needs that bozo on the playground? But maybe there's an alternate view, which there you are describing more curiosity and helping them feel seen. And then how do you dig out of it? So in that moment, I think you can even ask the child, like, do you feel like we've talked about this? Do you feel like I understand you? I even asking them, what do you think you want to do? about this and kind of coming up with a plan of like, all right, sometimes people don't like us and they're not nice. And how can we make sure that we can still get through our day and like go on with life? I think that's what builds resilience is the problem solving, not teaching kids like not to care when people don't like them. And now a word from my sponsors, Allstate. I learned so much about Allstate when I met with them as my new partners, you have to check out the Allstate Identity Protection. It's the best of identity protection from a brand we all know and trust. The internet knows a lot about you and it does not have to. It turns out Allstate Digital Footprint sees a list of your online accounts. It tracks where you've been online, learns how companies are using your data and if your personal information has been exposed in a data breach, and you can get tips to proactively protect your privacy and identity. And Allstate Identity Protection even includes dark web monitoring with AI and human-sourced intelligence providing an extra layer of detection. And with AIP, they reimburse up to a million dollars for out-of-pocket expenses, lost wages, and legal fees. And they will cover money stolen from bank accounts, 401ks, tax returns, HSAs. There's just so much. And what I love about Allstate Identity Protection is that you get peace of mind, that you can learn about the things you didn't even know you might be exposing kids who aren't even online yet. So when you think identity protection, think Allstate Identity Protection. To find out if your employer offers Allstate Identity Protection, head to AIP.com slash humans. If not, get a 30-day free trial at AIP.com slash humans. One last time, that's AIP.com slash humans. You know how much I love Once Upon a Farm. It's the leading baby food company and kids snack brand offering organic, cold-pressed fruit and veggie pouches, dairy-free smoothies, overnight oats, plant-rich meals, and more. And it's made with whole farm-fresh ingredients and no added sugars, concentrates, or anything artificial. Their subscription offering is fully customizable, so you can pick and choose from their wide variety of blends or meals and switch it up before every delivery. We know that it's hard to find good snacks for back to school. There's hustle and bustle. It's chaotic. But Once Upon a Farm can help because they have healthy on-the-go snacks for kids of all ages. 
as you know, even my high schooler likes once upon a farm snacks. You can pack it in a lunchbox, bring it as an after-school snack in the car, take it to soccer practice, go to the playground, anything. If you have a baby or toddler in the house, you absolutely should try their new offering of plant-rich meals to introduce new flavors and textures. And you can choose from a variety of ready-to-cook recipes that contain a perfect balance, veggies, fruits, proteins, grains, and fats without all the peeling and chopping. You can find Once Upon a Farm at retailers nationwide and online. Get started today and enjoy an additional 35% off your first subscription order. Use the code HUMANS at onceuponafarmorganics.com. That's onceuponafarmorganics.com. What are the kinds of ways to connect without, again, sitting too deeply in it and without blowing it off with toxic positivity? As kids get older, I think it's important, or I hear this from my adult clients, that they wish that their parents would have validated what they were going through more strongly and recognized how big of a deal it felt for them. And so I think realizing that at that age, you know, when we're talking about adolescents, teens, like their peer relationships are the most important thing to them. And what might seem like not a big deal is, and I, I really think just keeping the lines of communication open of like, I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to try to understand. I'm going to validate you are so important. And people get worried that if I let my child or even my spouse talk to me about too much negativity, they're going to get stuck in it. And I find the opposite as a provider, that if I allow people to have that space to vent, whatever it is, they, they need to do it less in the long run. And, and they like know that space is there. And so they don't sit in their feelings all the time. I did have the experience very recently where my daughter got into the car and started venting, just venting. And in her venting, she sounded a little bit obnoxious, mm-hmm. not to me, but about the story that she was telling. And I like chimed in with an interruption to let her know that what she was saying was kind of obnoxious. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I, I'm just venting. Like I'm, yeah. I'm now I'm in the car and I just had to not say anything because I'm absolutely aware that I would sound awful but now I'm with you. So can I just not learn a lesson right now? And it right. Was another, I, I blew it in that moment because we all do. But you know, then that she feels like safe around you to just talk about whatever she's feeling and that you're just going to let her do it. Except in that moment. Except in that moment. <laughs> but hey, Except we all moment. mess up sometimes. I, of course, actually, I, I feel like I, I, I want to say that because even though I'm, I feel pretty fluent in being able to sit there while she vents, I still couldn't do it. I could not let it just like yeah. bite my tongue because I just wanted to be like, I just want to make sure that you know that this is, you know. <laughs> so it's, it's hard always, to resist that urge, especially as a yeah. parent. What are other approaches to helping grow hope and optimism without falling into this trap? Mm-hmm. I feel like with our kids, it, they don't have a lot of perspective, right? They haven't been alive very long. It's hard to see how things could get better or improve or change. And as parents, that's something that we do have is the ability to acknowledge that and even helping them reflect on like, remember when 
you were really upset about this and like things change or you learned how to deal with them, that that's a way to like validate where they're at, validate another hard thing that happened, but also point out to them the ways in which they've been successful or they have independence. And this is easier, of course, with older kids, not the really little ones. But I think that can also show them like, hey, I see where you're making progress and what you're doing. And what are the things that you found parents do to each other that feel like harmful positivity? The biggest thing is just trying to fix things. I mean, there's, I hear so many conversations that like stereotypically it tends to be men who want to like fix anything that their spouse is talking about. But of course this happens across genders. The biggest example is like when your spouse comes home from work and they're venting about things like, oh, well, it'll get better. Why don't you try this? I think if you do this, everything will be fine or let's not complain about it. And the other person's kind of like, well, I'm never going to talk to you about this again (laughs) because I don't feel heard or seen or even remotely Mm -hmm. understood. I also, you know, I'm, I'm hesitant to say this too. Like I'm debating even if we can have this conversation, but I think that mom specifically and social media specifically can kind of make other sister moms feel less than through that same kind of attitude and minimizing or diminishing the experience that is so unique to each of us as we're going through this. And I wonder if there are ways that you can think of that can serve as a little bit of an antidote to that kind of dialogue between, I don't, is it a dialogue? This this conversation that happens with, sis, I, I don't know what else to call them other than sister parents. Yeah. It is definitely something that I recognize and see online. I've noticed there's a lot of like big creators now, especially on like TikTok more than Instagram, who are allowing these conversations to happen. And when you read the comments, you do see a lot of those women like, stop complaining. This is the most beautiful time of your life. You know, don't do, don't say this around your kids, whatever it is. I think as women, we're so afraid to say like, hey, this is hard. This isn't what I thought it was going to be because you're going to get that shame back. That that to me is the most Mm -hmm. powerful antidote is just saying like, it's okay if you want to be honest about what motherhood is like for you. Like I've had similar experiences too and allow people to have their experience. If it's not hurting anyone, you know, it's not harmful. I think it's really okay to make space for that. And it's, I think it could actually save a lot of women in the process from postpartum depression and anxiety and all this other stuff. Because it feels so alone to then not only feel that feeling, but have the the person by your side kind of saying, you shouldn't be feeling that way. You should savor every moment or whatever it is. The the thing that happens also with teenagers of the wanting to vent and then getting that shut down, the the thing that my daughter and her friend say is, is this a rant or advice moment? Mm, and nice. so that's how they, they can like say to each other, I just need to rant or I'm looking for, I'm looking for more. And I think maybe that's what you're talking about, but just in this adult experience that we have, and it is true. It can feel like then you're so less than because you're not savoring each moment. And you can also, both of those things can be true. Of course. 
Absolutely. I mean, I remember I had bad postpartum depression after I had my son and I've shared this on other podcasts that like I would see other people posting pictures of them with their kids, like smiling. And I would be like, oh my gosh, why can't I get myself to that point? And that person's not doing anything malicious, but it's really good. I think for anybody to, when you see happy people and you're not in a happy place, to remind yourself that like, that's not everything. It's not always like that for that person. I think as women and mothers, we really have to work on that because a lot of it feels like you have to be performing that happiness. Okay. So how can we work on that? This happiness, this performative happiness, which is such a, it's so true. Yeah. What are some ways to work on that? I think honestly, just admitting and realizing that you are not the only mother, not the first or the last that's going to feel like motherhood is hard or like there are problems. And it always helps me to remind myself that I don't share all of my life on social media. In fact, I probably share less than 1% of it. And so if I look at someone else and say, that's their whole life, they're always happy. They're always like that. I have to think I don't do that. So what makes me think that this person is also sharing everything and it's not to wish anyone any harm or bad things in their life, but remembering that we all have those moments where things are not great. So for those who did not grow up in families where it was okay to acknowledge that things were not great, how can you learn that skill so that you don't replay that same narrative in your household? Because that takes so much practice. So Mm -hmm. if you grew up in a household where everything had to be okay because maybe who knows, maybe it was your parent that would have unraveled if they made any acknowledgement and they were afraid who knows what the, what the culture was in your household. But many people grew up in households where there was something about acknowledging something that made it seem like, Oh no, now it's worse. Mm-hmm. So they learned over time that the acknowledgement itself was not okay how do you relearn a new way of experiencing the world so that you can model for your kids? Those moments come and go and they're totally part of life. The first thing for all the like rational thinkers out there, I think is to remember (laughs) that we know based on the current research that suppressing our emotions, pretending everything is fine. It does. It just doesn't work. And so you kind of have to step away and be like, I am try- I am effectively trying to do something. I'm like taking the same pill every day, knowing that it does not work and I'm going to get a bad outcome. And I think from there, you can really, you have to practice like looking at these moments of like, I am going to sit with this, you know, whatever it is, like my kid was late for school today and I forgot their shoes and all this crazy stuff is happening and just saying, I'm human. Sometimes I make mistakes. And how can I come at this from a perspective of control of what can I do different next time? And really accepting that life is going to get hard. It's just going to. And so it's better to be prepared than to live in like a dream world or a false reality. I remember, I think my oldest daughter was nine and I I really didn't get un. I don't know. I I cannot explain this. This was not, this is not a good thing or a bad thing, but it was a learning moment for me. But I welled up in, in anger 
my eyes welled up and I was angry about something that I had I hadn't expressed anger about before. I honestly I think it was something like it was just I I walked in and it was mayhem and mm-hmm. such a mess and for whatever reason that set me off in a way that it hadn't before. And my nine-year-old looked at me as I couldn't seem to contain my welled up eyes. And she was like, moms don't cry. What's This is terrifying. Like she was terrified of this mm-hmm. moment that where she saw me lose control because she hadn't before. And I was like, that's my, that is a hundred percent on me. Like, I am so sorry. I have clearly been a robot because this is no big deal. This is part of being a person. I'm going to have hard moments. I'm going to cry. I'm going to laugh. I've got this. Like I know how to take care of myself in this moment, but but I was mortified that I needed my child to have that reaction to my just having a feeling. I wasn't even having a major feeling. I was just having a feeling, but she wasn't used to it. And I think that we can sometimes forget that we're allowed to have feelings in front of our kids so long as we don't ask them to take care of us. Exactly. But you know, what's so interesting is your daughter saying that to you, you were like, I need to show more emotion. I think there are parents who might hear that from their kid and be like, Oh, I got to get it together. Like I'm going to wipe these tears away. (laughs) You know, you're right. I, I am supposed to be the one that's strong because it's almost like maybe you had a parent that said that to you. And now the child's reflecting it back that I think the way you interpret it is the healthy way, the good way to be like, I do need to show more of this to my kids. And it is okay if moms cry or are upset. Yeah. I mean, I didn't interpret it as I've got to get it together. I definitely interpreted it as I've done a horrible disservice to this <laughs> child. Like, cause what a, what a messy feeling to get to go into adulthood thinking that you are not, that it is such a big deal to be upset. Mm-hmm. Because of course we all get upset. So the the disservice was, oh my God, you're nine and you don't realize that that is like just a moment in time. I welled up. It's not, I mean, I hope it, I, I should clarify to everyone. I'm not saying that we should, I, I don't think either of us would say, lose your mind around your kids all the time and be unpredictable and frazzled. But it's more like, in a, in a, I've got this kind of way, like Mm -hmm. my feelings are not scary for me. And so you're safe and I'm safe having a feeling and then having it pass, which is not the same thing as like emotionally unstable. I'm not suggesting emotional instability. (laughs) Right, right, right. No, totally. But there are moments that I, I learned so much that maybe I would have known academically but I didn't know how to translate. And then my kids just throw a whammy at me. And I think it's really hard to have healthy mental, healthy messaging around mental health without it being too oversimplified on social media that it ends up getting, doing things like the, the toxic positivity conversation, which is not remotely about mental health. But I see so much about manifesting and I just, I just want to talk about it because it drives me kind of bonkers. It's like, I find part of this category of toxic positivity and I'm so curious what you think and, and how best to respond to it. 
Yeah, manifestation is certainly having a resurgence online among young people. And I think a lot of the conversation is very oversimplified. Like you mentioned, it sort of proposes this idea that if I think the right thoughts and I believe that I am deserving of this thing, I visualize it, it will come to me. And of course, we know that that does not happen. And so I see a lot of posts of people like, yeah, I manifested this job. I had it on my vision board. And then later you find out like, oh, like her uncle works at the company or like some other thing that was definitely, you know, part of the process. And so what I'm encouraging people to do around these things is use the tools in a way that benefits you. Of course, visualizing something is great. Imagining what could be is great, but also thinking about what do I need to do in this situation? What do I have access to? What do I not have access to? And I think it's healthy to look at what are my perceived limitations and what are my real limitations? You know, there are some things that I just cannot do because of my height or my age or whatever it is. And that's okay to acknowledge those things as well. And now a quick break so I can tell you about my sponsors. Claire is a new online paint brand that makes paint shopping simple. I have moved so much over the years. I love a paint chip. I love looking at paint and I love trying to Google different ways of making a room look new and fresh. Claire takes the hassles out of paint shopping with a streamlined selection of designer curated colors, mess-free peel and stick paint swatches, and premium paint and supplies delivered straight to your door. We all want to create a beautiful home that reflects our personal style, and paint is one of the easiest and least expensive ways to totally transform your home. Claire makes picking paint colors so easy and hassle-free. They even have a Claire Color Genius who can help pick a color if you're having trouble. You take a two-minute quiz. It's like having an interior designer help you out. And if you have ever painted a home, then you know that even white paint has so many options. Some have gray, some have brown in it, some have a completely yellow undertone, and it all looks quite different depending on the light that you're in. So with Claire, you can find anything you need to choose a paint color and tackle your paint project with confidence without even leaving your home. Visit Claire at www.clare.com slash humans to get started and receive $5 off your first gallon of paint. That's www.clare.com slash humans for $5 off. You can take action today for a healthier tomorrow with Everlywell. Their at-home lab tests can help you get the knowledge and support you need so that you can become a healthier you. I always like to start the school year off with new health intentions. So why not change the season and start the new year by checking in on our health and wellness? With EverlyWell, you can take action today by taking one of their at-home lab tests. And if you've been experiencing symptoms and don't know where to start, EverlyWell is committed to listening and supporting your journey towards better health and wellness. The EverlyWell Women's Health Test measures 11 biomarkers known to play a role in your overall health and wellness and checks for any abnormal levels that may be keeping you from feeling your best. EverlyWell ships your at-home lab tests straight to you with everything needed for a simple sample collection. And they include prepaid shipping labels and mail your test back to a certified lab. Your physician-reviewed results get sent to your phone or device in just days. It's so simple. And for listeners of the show, EverlyWell is offering a special discount 
of 20% off at-home lab tests at everlywell.com slash humans. That's everlywell.com slash humans for 20% off your next at-home lab test. Everlywell.com slash humans. You can find out, just like I did, how your hormone levels are doing or anything else. Everlywell.com slash humans. Visualizing something, it can be incredibly beneficial. Even infants visualizing language before they speak promotes language. Like there's visualization matters, but maybe that's, is there another way to think about it? Like, is it setting your intention, but then also planning out the business of it all? Exactly. And I think really what manifestation and like law of attraction texts kind of try to sway you away from is addressing any of the bad outcomes or negativity associated with that visualization. And so it would be more like if you were doing that, you were pushing it away instead of attracting it to you. And I think most psychological research sort of tells us the opposite of like, yes, look at what you want to manifest, look at what you want to be true, but let's also look at what problems might come up. What do you need help with? What do you already have? And making it more of like a balanced plan. So on that front, another thing that gets lumped together with toxic positivity that is that again, it has so much research and and wonderful components to it is gratitude, which we all need you know, to exercise our gratitude muscles to thrive. But how's that getting misinterpreted? And and how do we push against the impulse to turn it into, I guess, would a toxic toxic messaging around that be like, you should be grateful for this or or, or turning it on yourself? I know I shouldn't be upset about this. I should be grateful, but... Exactly. So what I noticed just anecdotally in my practice was that gratitude was really being weaponized and was making people feel shame. So Mm -hmm. people would say, I know I should be grateful, but I shouldn't complain, but, or they're waking up every morning, like making a gratitude list, but they feel terrible. And so what I was noticing is like this great concept has now become something that is just making us feel worse because we're using it to cover up or silence feelings. And that's where I think it can kind of fall into the toxic positivity bubble. What I like to point out is that if you want gratitude to be effective, you can't use shame to induce it. And you can't use it to cover up something else. You can't force a child or yourself to feel grateful. Right. Or to feel anything really. And and coming to terms with that as a parent is probably one of our bigger gifts that we can't force feelings on anyone. If somebody is just thinking about, I just want to pay attention to when these moments are being weaponized and when they are benefiting me, what are some of the telltale ways to notice that so that you can not only recognize it in your experience, but also use that to support your kids. When gratitude or positivity are are weaponized, they are going to feel dismissive. They're going to feel bad, going to possibly create more sensations of like shame or guilt, and it's going to feel like you are minimizing something. When they're used for good in the right moment with the right topic, I think it is going to create more hope 
more optimism, more like of a positive feeling. And I think that just comes up naturally throughout our day. Like that's when I see gratitude being the most effective is when people are able to say like, oh, it's beautiful outside, or I love the conversation I just had, or I get to watch that show tonight. And they're like, just looking out for moments in their day rather than in a difficult moment saying, I should be grateful. I have to be grateful. What are some scripts that can be part of the advice giving moment, those rare opportunities when there's actual advice being asked that can both give support and also, I mean, do we want to end on a note that is still hopeful or optimistic or grateful without it being that should feeling or that shaming feeling? I think if someone asks you explicitly for advice and and they've said, I would like your advice with this, you're allowed to give that. That's what they're asking you for. And so to be able to say, if I were in this situation, this is what I would do. This is what I would say. This is what I would change, I think is really powerful and acknowledging that like, that's just what you would do. And the other person may get clarity from your advice. They may take it directly or may take parts of it. At the end of that, I think you can provide some optimism in the sense of like, no matter what happens, I'm going to be there for you. Or I hope that this does get better. If it doesn't, I'm here. We can talk about this anytime. I think what people are most scared of is like being alone in bad times versus like just being in a bad situation. It's the loneliness part that really gets to us. In moments when there's no advice giving, this is a moment when there is a rant or just a sad feeling or an experience that's that's not looking for fixing or a solution or advice. What are some concrete ways we can address our own nervous system so that we can best support these kids so that they don't feel that alone feeling you're talking about? Mm-hmm. I think in that moment, you have to remind yourself, like, they're allowed to have this feeling. They're allowed to be upset. It's okay. You know, they're safe. They're just talking to me about it. Regulating yourself through breathing can be helpful. Even just like wrapping your arms across your chest and doing like that hug is good. I also think as a parent, you know, especially with older kids or with teens, it's okay to say sometimes like, I am a little worried about this or like, I want to make sure you're safe or you're okay. Like, it's not just that your kid can tell you anything and you're not allowed to (laughs) react to that or respond. Also having another person in your circle that you can talk to about your feelings related to this stuff of like, you know, it was really hard for me when I was hearing about that because you are allowed to have an emotional reaction to what your child is saying. It's just the adult responsibility, I think, of finding another place to discharge that instead of with your child. Are there some phrases that you just wish would be just removed from our (laughs) conversations? Like if you could just wave a magic wand that that are well-meaning again, but just for parents just have on their minds like, ooh, if I catch myself saying that, maybe I I just bite that tongue. I just actually bit my tongue. (laughs) I hate... Everything happens for a reason. Time heals all wounds. I don't like anything that's like, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. It'll all be fine. I I can really not think of a situation where that those are the most effective phrases. Those are probably my top contenders. 
And instead, what are your top contenders for things to fall on when you can't think of what to say? So validation, I think it's always easy. You're just going to try to mirror what the other person is saying. So if you're your kid fell down and they hurt their knee. Oh, your knee hurts. What are you feeling? What's wrong? You know, what's wrong with your knee? So asking questions, getting curious, and then coming with, from the perspective of like, how can I just so em- show empathy? Oh, I'm sorry you fell down and hurt your knee. Like, do you think a Band-Aid would help? Let's do that. Let's see if we can walk back over to the slide. And really walking through this path of like, I want to understand you. I want to validate what you're feeling. And then let's try to see how we can wrap it up. And of course that takes longer depending on the situation. Going back and coming to terms with your own family history and your own experience being parented. Are there moments when you have clarity of what you wish kind of all kids could say to their parents in this journey of being parents as they're growing up? So the number one thing that I hear from adults about growing up with their parents is that they wish that their parents would have acknowledged some of their behavior and would have said things to them like, I'm proud of you. I love you. And when the parent messed up, just saying, I'm sorry I yelled at you. I shouldn't have done that. And I'm going to work on not doing it next time. That is like the crux of every conversation that I'm having with adult kids. And for anyone listening to this, I want you to know, like, it's never too late to say that stuff. Mm. You know, even if it didn't happen at the time. So basically repair, maybe we can just expand on that a little bit because if it's never too late to repair, but it's also never too early to repair. Yes. Maybe we do need to expand and hear a little bit about moments when you just, yeah, you wish you hadn't had that interaction. And as an adult, you can apologize. How does that go? So a lot of the adults today, I think because we're in like a very therapy oriented generation that's coming up, are going to their parents with these conversations saying like, hey, I've been talking about this in therapy. It's bothering me. And I find that a lot of the parents of those adults get defensive of like, I didn't mean to do that. I didn't want to do that. Or it was really hard for me to raise you. And that's when I would, as the parent, step back and be like, you know what, this is my kid's experience. And if I want to have a relationship with them, I've got to find a way to talk to them about this. And that doesn't mean you just say, oh, that's exactly what happened. You're right to your kid. But can you have a dialogue where you're able to learn about what hurt them and then maybe say, I understand why that hurt you. And I, I wish I could have done something differently. I didn't. And now I want to work on doing better and repairing that relationship. Thank you. I hope you have a wonderful end of summer with your little. Of course. Thank you. And 